Okay, guys, so we're going to get right into Joel today. So there's, there's really three chapters in Joel, and so we're going to take it in two weeks. So today we're going to focus on chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 11. Next week we will pick up with chapter 2, verse 12 through the end of chapter 3. So today we're going to talk about the plague and the day of the Lord. Okay, so remember we t- when we did the introductory material, we said that there was some sort of plague of locusts that had destroyed the land. And there was some discussion as to whether or not it was an army or whether it was really a natural disaster. We're going to see some of that concern, some of that discussion today as we go through our passage. But with that plague that happened, Joel is going to draw a parallel to a future traumatic event that's coming, and that's the day of the Lord, okay? Now, can anybody tell me, what's the day of the Lord? It's talked about throughout the scripture. What does the day of the Lord mean? Okay, the return. You're right, Mike. So the day of the Lord is mentioned in the Old Testament. It's mentioned in the New Testament. It has to do with the Messiah coming, all right? The Messiah of Israel coming, and today he's going to describe it in such a way that it's going to be a terrible a terrible event. Now, for you and I who are believers in Jesus Christ, is it a terrible event? No, no. But for the rest of the world, Revelation says they will mourn when the when he comes out of the east. They will mourn at his coming. Okay, it will be a terrible event. Okay. So let's look at this together. First of all, let's focus on the plague of locusts, okay? So before we look at the locust scourge, we got to deal with verse 1, which is the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. So the writer proclaims that this is the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. So that's all we know. We don't know where he's from in Israel. We don't know anything about him, what he did. One of the other prophets you're going to know is that he was a tender of figs. That means he was a fig farmer, okay? So they kind of tell you what their jobs are. They don't tell you anything here, all right? I've already mentioned to you that they don't say very much about when it was written. So nothing more is presented concerning who the prophet was. We don't don't know exactly the time frame. And that's why, remember I mentioned this to you last week, the big discussion as to when exactly is he writing. Is he writing before the exile? Is he writing after the exile? You know, when's he writing? And I think we kind of came to the conclusion that really when you look at what it's going to talk about today, We don't really need to know exactly when. We just need to learn the lessons, okay? Because the lessons are timeless for us, okay? So let's talk about the locust scourge. Look with me at verse 2 through 4. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. What the chewing locusts left, 
the swarming, swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left and the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left and what the consuming locust has eaten. All right, so let's talk first of all the scourge, all right? So the elders and the inhabitants are asked if anything like this has ever happened before. So he's obviously writing the generation where this event took place. And so he's getting them to think for a moment, has anything this, like this ever happened before? This kind of devastation that we're facing, okay? So he's asking them, have you ever seen anything like this? In fact, he goes one step further. Have your fathers seen anything like this? So meaning, like, has this ever happened before in our area? Okay? So they're to tell their children and the succeeding generations about the calamity. So the Lord is telling them through the prophet, you tell your children, they tell their children, and their children tell the following generations what has happened here. Now, I've been thinking about this for a couple of days now. That's kind of like what the Jews do. The Jews, have you noticed, a lot of their feasts and celebrations are about calamities and about God's salvation in the midst of those calamities. Okay? And they remember the terrible things that happened to them. It's part of their culture to tell the generations about the sufferings that they have gone through and about the difficulties that they have gone through and the struggles. Now, the reason why I was thinking about that, I was trying to think, are, are we like that in our culture? Do we tend to share with others the calamities that we face? Now, I thought on a national level we do. We remember December 6, 1941, okay? We remember September 11th. 2001, and we might remember, okay, we remember JFK, okay, his assassination, but do we tend as a people to communicate to, our, to our generations from where we are the calamities that have happened around us? Do we? Gene says no. Not enough. Not enough. Maybe a little bit. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Yeah. And I would say a little bit because I think about when we moved into our house, you know, we live on Anderson Creek and it floods sometimes. And my neighbor who's lived there all his life, uh, he, he, he said to me about the great Johnstown flood and about how the creek flooded in this area in 1930 something. You know what I'm saying? It wouldn't have just flooded. Anderson Avenue. It would have flooded all Clearfield, too, because there wasn't no dam at that point. Do you know what I'm saying? And so he remembered that calamity, okay? So there's a sense in which we do it a little bit, but for the most part, we kind of, would you say we downplay catastrophes or we try to ignore them? Okay, yeah, now, okay, that's, that would be right, Gene, 
but that's true of every veteran in every war since then. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, and I have the same experience. So I have, you know, my grandfather who lived through World War II. I have my dad who lived through Vietnam. My my brother who was a little bit younger than me who was in the Persian Gulf War. That's the first Persian War there. And none of them shared anything about anything and and they don't want to. Okay? But that's typical of veterans, okay? But as a culture, would you would you say what were you going to say, Mike? Well, this is probably going back to what older people say. If you ever talk to talk to people who went through that great depression, yes, they'll talk and talk and talk because they know how good it is now. Yes. Yes. So they do remember those difficulties. Yes. And they bring them up. So, all right. So let me say this. So maybe it's a mixture of both. It's maybe a mixture of whether the person wants to share it in our culture, as well as a mixture of whether somebody wants to listen. Did you know what I'm saying? So when grandpa's sitting around talking about how it used to be during the depression and what they did, how often do we really listen to that? Do you know what I'm saying? Because we're not there anymore. You know what I'm saying? And so calamities aren't really a part. We, we don't want to make them a part of our lives and so forth. But God's telling through the prophet, the people here, they're to tell the generations after them about this calamity. They're to tell them about the massive locust invasion that ate and destroyed everything. Now, when you, when you read this, this prophecy, it's very evident that whatever came through destroyed all the agricultural life there was there. Now, would that be devastating to them? Yeah, because that's what their livelihoods were based on. They were an agrarian culture. It was based on the crops they produced. And if you've got some kind of a invading form of locusts coming through and wiping everything out, that's a devastating thing, isn't it? Because it affects everyone from food on down. Livestock. So, so they were to tell about this massive invasion. So here's what he does now. He calls them to mourn. So I want you to notice with me verses 5 through 14 He's going to talk to various groups here, and I'm not going to read these verses, but I'll just kind of go through them uh, and describe who he's talking to. So in verse 5, he's talking to the drunkards, okay? Then he is talking to those who are priests and just everyone in general. So here's what he does. The prophet calls different groups of people to mourn the devastation and its effects. So the drunkard, why would they be called to mourn? Think about it. If you need to read verse 5, why would a drunkard, if, a, if locusts come through and destroy all the vegetation and all the plant life, why would a drunkard be having to mourn now? 
Yeah, it won't be any new wine. That's exactly right. It's it, the the grapes are gone. The everything the plant the the vines are dead. You know what I'm saying? They've been destroyed. You know what I'm saying? By the by the locusts. So each one of the groups are to mourn the devastation and then its effects. So the prophet points out that the destruction points out the destruction on the agricultural products of the land. So when you read through these verses, verses five through fourteen. He's going to talk about how these things have destroyed the agricultural products. Now, so as the land and its produce are destroyed, the people are affected. So they're affected. Now here's where the discussion is, is this this an army of locusts or is this an other kind of army? So the nation in verse 6 could refer to the locust horde or an invading army. So when you look at verse 6, verse 6 says this, For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. So some scholars think that has to be talking about the Assyrians or some other invading force, okay? Maybe the Babylonians. But then some scholars say, no, no. It's an army of locusts. Can anybody number an army of locusts? No. No, that'd be like, you know, you know, as we're getting to where it's warmer weather and those little bitty ants come in your house and you set out your ant traps to get them and so forth. And all you know is there's a lots of ants. Have you sat there and tried to count all those ants? Maybe if you were bored that day, but you still wouldn't know. They would be, you would say they're without number, Right? Okay, so the nation here could refer to the locust horde or it could be an invading army. And here's what happens. The priests are called to consecrate a fast and call a sacred assembly. So because of the devastation and because of the effect, the priests are to call really what is known as a sacred assembly. And they've done that several times Throughout the history of Israel, it usually had a place called Mizpah. And that's where the nation gathered, where they wanted to hear from the Lord. They made sacrifices and so forth. And he, they're to call a fast. They're to call the people, basically, to return to the Lord because of the devastation. So let's get into the whole issue now of the prayer for mercy. Okay, so look with me at verse 15. Through 20. He's going to pray for mercy here. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods. The storehouses are in shambles. The barns are broken down. For the grain has withered. How the animals groan. And the herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. And even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. O Lord, to you I cry out. For fire has devoured the open pastures. 
and flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you. For the water brook, water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured our open pastures. So what we're going to see here is a prayer for mercy. So the prophet proclaims that the day of the Lord is at hand. All right? The day of the Lord is at hand. The day of judgment is coming. The day of the Lord will come as destruction from the Lord. So I need you to understand, we understand the day of the Lord to be the return, okay? So it's going to be as a time of destruction. The devastation will take away all food supplies so that everyone and everything is affected. Now what do I mean by everyone? Every human being is affected. What do I mean by everything? It tells you, no pasture for the cattle to eat. Even the sheep are suffering. Even the sheep are suffering. And so the reality is, is that this is going to be a time of devastation. So the prophet proclaims that he is crying out to the Lord since everything is devoured. He's crying out to God because everything is devoured. So that brings us to chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And... This is about the day of the Lord from the prophet Joel. So let's look at this together. First of all, we're going to see a warning. Look with me at verse 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. The day of darkness and gloominess, the day of clouds, and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. The people come great and strong, like the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even with many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. All right, so let's talk first of all about the warning. So the Lord calls for the trumpet to sound the alarm in Zion. Calls for the trumpet to sound the alarm in Zion. So what they would do is the watchman would sound a warning sound, a trumpet, and that would reverberate throughout the city saying there's problems. Now, the closest thing that we have to that is the fire alarm in the center of town on the fire hall when there's a fire, and they used to sound the alarm. Do you remember those days? when they, Here, they don't anymore in Kermansville. I think they still do in Clearfield. When you would hear the alarm and you know there was some kind of, some kind of disaster happening. It's the kind of same thing, except there they use trumpets, they use horns. One trumpet would go off, then all the trumpets would go off, and they're sounding a warning. Sounding a warning. The people are to tremble because the day of the Lord is at hand. Folks, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Period. The reality is, is that when we read in in Revelation chapter 20, when, when Jesus sits on the great white throne, it says that everything flees from him out of fear because of who he is and his fierceness. 
when he comes back, chapter 19, the nations will mourn when Jesus comes back. This is a time of trembling. He's telling them the people will tremble. The day of the Lord is described as a day of darkness and gloominess. It would be. It would be for humanity. Because now is the time of reckoning. Okay? That's a gloomy time. Then don't you remember that? Like if you knew you were, you were, you're coming home from school and you knew you had to face your parents because of something you did. That was a time of gloominess, right? Because you knew you were going to have to face the music, you know, and, and deal with them and so forth. We, we understand it to a little point, but this is really devastating and serious when you talk about the whole world is going to have to give an account to the king. So the coming army described as spreading through the horizons will come. Look with me at what it says here. There's an army here. Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, this is verse 2, a people come great and strong, the like of whom never have been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for successive generations. So he's talking about an army that is spread out over, like from the horizons, the crowds, clouds from the horizons. So, you know, if you're at a good vantage point here in Kerwinsville and you're looking out at the sky, how far does the horizon extend? Pretty far, right? Okay. Now, actually, I remember... I think a better illustration, have you ever come from Dubois down Rockton Mountain? And during the day you look and you can see, you can see Kerwinsville. You can see, you can see a whole lot from there. So picture that an army, a mighty army spread out that far, like has never been seen before. What do you think he's talking about? Anybody got a clue? Think for a moment. He's talking about the day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord about? The return of Christ. At the day of the Lord, there's going to be this mighty army. All right, Bruce said it. The army of saints. Revelation chapter 19. And I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and him who sat on it, him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had written on had a name written that no one knew except him. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Here it is, verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in white linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. It's the army of heaven. Okay, so Joel is saying the day of the Lord is going to be this, and there's going to be like this huge army like no one has ever seen before, nor will they ever see it again. And it's going to be who? Bruce already told us. Who is it? Yeah, the saints. Now, who's the saints? Yeah, so how's your horse riding skills besides Dottie? Okay. Do you realize that? The saints who are clothed in white, crowned with gold crowns, 
will ride back with, and you don't have to worry about fighting. In fact, Joel kind of says that here in this passage. Because the one who is leading is the one who does the destruction. Okay? So the coming army is described as spreading through the horizons and will, will come. They're, they're, okay? So now, the army will be so great that no one has ever seen such or will ever again. Well, first of all, there won't ever be a need for it again, will there? This army is compared to a fire that consumes everything. He's going to come through and destroy everything. The lands, like the Garden of Eden, will be turned into desolate wilderness. It's, he's kind of making the illustration. So in front of the army are lands that are like the Garden of Eden, blush, beautiful. And when the army comes through behind them, it's nothing but desolate wilderness. It's describing the destruction of this army, the total destruction of the day of the Lord. Nothing will escape the destruction of this army. Nothing. That'll be it. So, the army consisting of horses, both cavalry and chariots, will come quickly. And, and to be honest with you, uh, that's what uh, John tells us in Revelation. They'll ride on horses. All right? They'll ride on horses. What kind of horses? I don't know. Okay? You just need to know this is going to happen. All right? The people will respond in anguish to the terror of the coming army. They'll respond in terror. It's not going to be a great time. So the army will plunge through defenses in a solid formation. Nothing's going to, there's not like, you know, the armies of the Antichrist aren't even going to have a chance. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like they're going to put up a fight. In fact, he's going to end it with the word of his mouth. He's just going to speak the word and it's over. Do you understand? You're not even going to fight. You're just there with the king. And the coming army will be accompanied by natural and cosmic disasters. Look with me at what he's saying here uh, in verse, let's look down, verse 10. The earthquakes, earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. Revelation talks very clearly about these things taking place. Everything is going to be altered when Jesus comes back, okay? Everything's going to be altered. And the Lord will command this destruction with the voice of his word. He's just going to speak the word. Which, by the way, does he need to fight? He's God. He can set everything right with one word. Okay? With one word. And since the day of the Lord is great and terrible, the question is raised concerning who can endure it. Look with me at what it says in verse 11. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. There it is, he's speaking the word. Then notice what it says, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. 
Who can endure it? How do you answer that? Who can endure it? Randy's shaking his head. Now I'm confused because before it was no, now it's like you're shaking. You're like, is it yes or no? Can anybody endure it? No. No, unbelievers will not be able to endure it. The, the judgment will be final. But for believers, we don't have to endure anything, right? Because we're with him. Do you know what I'm saying? We're with him. Now, somebody might raise, well, I don't know that I want to be a part of that. Doesn't that, that makes God sound cruel that he's doing that. I don't know if I want to be a part of it. Actually, if you read Revelation, you understand that the saints cry out to God day and night, how long, O Lord? How long before you bring your vengeance? How long, O Lord, before you bring your vengeance? Why? Because God's people cry out for what? An end to the terrible things and that justice would be brought. Do you understand what I'm saying? And they're told to be patient. Revelation says be patient. Until what? Jesus comes. Until that day. Do you understand? And it will be the setting right of all things. And behold, what's the next thing that happens? He establishes his kingdom for a thousand years of peace. It's, it's going to be wonderful. Okay? So that's the day of the Lord. 